Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Emily Murphy will join us to discuss Grow Now. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, how can we save our planet? Is it as easy as just looking in our own backyard, one garden at a time? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Ms. Emily Murphy. Ms. Murphy is a re- regenerative organic gardener trained in ethnobotany and environmental sciences. She's the author of Grow What You Love and creator of the celebrated blog PassThePistol.com. She has penned the new book, Grow Now how we can save our health, communities, and planet one garden at a time. Ms. Murphy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, it is certainly our pleasure. Certainly a great book you've put together here, Grow Now. That's exactly it. Tiny acts have big impacts. And one of the reasons I put this book together, well, one of the reasons, of course, is my background in environmental science and ethnobotany and growing for a number of years. And every day I see the positive impacts. Also, because my experience talking with people, leading workshops, it's very clear that my readers, listeners are looking for ways to address the climate crisis in meaningful ways every day. And this is one of those acts we can perform every day that benefits us and our planet. And it's really, really simple, something we can start today. We can grow now beginning today. Something that anybody can do. I mean, there's some of us who have grown a little bit far from the garden and do want to get back to it, but there's little steps that we can take. Yeah, so that's actually a really good point. That's a point that I bring up in the book, that many of us are either disconnected from nature because we live in cities or we live in apartments or have very little opportunity to grow a garden. Growing doesn't necessarily mean you have to have your own garden. It could be that you're planting in containers. It could be you're planting in a borrowed space. It could also be that you're simply reevaluating the spaces outside your apartment or on your city streets. could be the health strip, the the strip between your road and the sidewalk, your tree lawn, and again, those borrowed spaces. And what we know is that 139 million acres approximately are dedicated to urban and suburban landscapes. And this is more than all the national parks and and state parks nationwide, more acreage. And when we look at those spaces, whether they're home gardens or backyards, front yards, community plots, these spaces make a real tangible difference. And collectively, all of our actions, even if they're small actions. So what I would recommend is to start small. And even these small actions have the ability to make a difference because then we're starting this dialogue or this narrative of how we relate to nature. And so this book is more than just about how to grow. It's about, it's really a guidebook about how to approach our landscapes with new eyes. Because one of the things I point out is if we always do what we've always done, we always get what we always got, which is I think a Henry Ford quote. And, you know, if your morning walk 
is working for you, um, that's definitely something to, to keep in your morning routine, your cup of tea, your morning coffee. But if we continue approaching, say, the climate crisis and species extinction as this problem that's out there, or it's too big and scary, I can't act, then, then we're maintaining the status quo. And in this book, uh, it's a regenerative growing book that advocates for no-dig principles. We're really bringing this opportunity to transform our personal spaces home and in the process then reconnecting with nature. And they're not, they're not separate. They're very much connected. And it can be, begin with something as simple as composting, composting your own food waste, taking your compost to or your food scraps to a compost hub. Many cities now have compost hubs, New York City, LA, uh, for example, or your communities might have a green bin. We know that food waste is one of the major climate drivers. If food waste were a country, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard this before, food waste were a country, it would be the third largest climate driver behind the U.S. and China. And so we can begin by composting our food scraps. If you have the opportunity to compost them at home, then you can put those food scraps back into your garden. If it's actually planting a garden, that is the big scary first step. Uh, begin again with something small like a container or a set of containers or raised bed or share a garden space with a friend because it's always easier to get started when you're growing with someone else. You mentioned regenerative gardening, there's no dig approach. What fundamentals of that and way of thinking about gardening? Yeah, so regenerative gardening asks us to approach our landscapes, again, our gardens, with this restorative approach. And this goes back to that quote I mentioned earlier, if we always do what we've always got, we always get what we always had, or something like that. If we approach our spaces with a sustainable approach, the word sustain technically means, you know, maintaining the status quo. It's no longer enough to be sustainable. We need to approach our landscapes with a regenerative approach. And regenerative approach is something that is so old, it seems new, and it's really quite simple. The principles are disturb the soil as little as possible, that's the no-dig part, and apply compost and other organic, organic matters to the soil surface. So instead of digging, you're layering organic matter on the soil. Planting perennials and keeping living roots in the ground, planting uh, native plants, as uh, much as possible or swapping out ornamentals for natives in our landscape. That's our parks too. And the purpose of these three principles and also growing organically is to preserve the soil ecosystem. And the soil ecosystem plays this um, incredible role under our feet every day of shuttling carbon from the atmosphere into the soil and growing healthy food, growing healthy landscapes. The soil ecosystem, and I know that this is a science show, so many of your listeners probably already know some of these these details about the soil ecosystem, but it's filled with, with life. It's filled with microbes and fungi and, and all kinds of other animals that we don't often see, but they're there. They're doing the work. They're naturally aerating the soil. They're helping shuttle nutrients and moisture to plants in exchange for plant sugars. And in that process, that exchange between soil microbes and plants, that is really where we can begin to store carbon underground. Now, that's a decadal process. That's something that takes quite a long time. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't begin today. 
because when we foster soil with these regenerative principles, which again are disturbing the soil as little as possible, growing organically, planting perennials, keeping living roots in the ground, doing as little harm as possible, we are again, fostering that biodiversity. But what's really cool is that when we foster biodiversity underground, we're inherently fostering biodiversity above ground while growing a better garden and a garden that's easier to grow because we're um, giving our plants everything they need to grow with less work from us because nature's doing the work, which is really quite incredible. There are these fabulous push and pull feedback loops that happen in ecology, and we can rely on ecology, ecology to, again, do this work for us. And what's fabulous about growing a garden or growing anything, even if it's a single plant, is that it causes us to slow down and pay attention. And when we pay attention, we begin seeing these interconnected feedback loops every day. And I think that alone helps us rewrite the narrative for how we're approaching the climate crisis and species extinction. In your book, looking at native plants and foster their growth in areas where they might have been removed. Yeah, so this is a growing trend. Doug Talame is a proponent of of this, along with many other ecological gardeners and people in, in regenerative agriculture across the globe. We're reminded again and again the importance of native, native plants. They Native plants have co-evolved for eons with wildlife with soil wildlife and ecology above ground, whether that's birds and insects, animals of all kinds. Again, it's this fabulous interconnected feedback loop where we can't tug away, we can't pull any one thing out of that ecological feedback loop without affecting every other part of that system. And Again, one of the things I like to, how I like to refer to this process is, is that plants drive the mothership and that the soil beneath our feet is like the underground superhighway. When we plant native plants, we're then supporting wildlife, again, above ground and then wildlife below ground and supporting the underground superhighway. And really, it's the plants that drive that process and invite in uh, the microbes and specific insects and birds that are tailored. You know, they again, they've, they've evolved, they've co-evolved with these plants. And some of them are so specific, as many of your listeners probably know, monarch butterflies, for instance, only use the host plant of milkweed. Um, that's the only place that they lay their eggs and then eventually reproduce. And there are many other insects and animals that have this same relationship with plants. Trying to have a diverse collection of plants, animals together so that you're not overstressing one part of the ecology more than another. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I talk about all of these principles and ideas in Grow Now. I try to create a story arc in the book to help readers really find their own entry point. We all have our own set of experiences and we bring those experiences to everything that we do. And as you mentioned earlier, growing a garden might be something that doesn't seem tangible. It doesn't seem like something everyone wants to do, but there's a place to start. There's an entry point, and it could be as simple as swapping out 
ornamentals for natives. It might not, it might be that someone doesn't want to grow their own food. I totally get it. Or it might be that they add, a, you know, a listener adds edible perennials to their landscape, which are much easier to grow, say, than having to plant your own tomatoes every year. Even though growing your own tomatoes is really pretty incredible, growing herbs like rosemary and thyme and oregano changes everyday cooking. It provides uh, an opportunity for pollinators and it keeps living roots in the ground. So there's many entry points from native plants to edible perennials to simply applying compost to our landscapes or making compost. And these are all things I talk about in Grow Now. And I'm really excited. This book came out very recently and I hope it can make its way out into the world. Are there other places around the world that we have a more connected relationship with their gardens? Yeah, that's a really good question. I follow growing and gardening across the globe. And what I've seen is in particular in the UK that gardening is a practice and a pastime that is held in higher regard or esteem than say in the US. Here in the US, oftentimes people think of gardening as the person that comes and mows your lawn and takes the leaf blower out, cleans up the driveway. But in reality, it's much more than that. It's this deep connection with the world around us. And again, starting at home allows us to then bring empowering ourselves close to home to make global change because what's local is global. But in the UK, they've, they, they've already caught on to this. The practice of gardening is held in higher regard. I believe, from what I can tell, this is in part because so much of their natural spaces is gone. So many of their old trees are gone. 90% of their peatlands have been destroyed. And peat is an incredible carbon sink. Now, 3% of the world's soil surface is peat, yet it holds about 40% of the world's soil carbon. So you can think about 90% of the UK's peatlands being gone. That's a ton of carbon that just went up into the atmosphere. And I think in that part of the world, people are recognizing how important these spaces are. They've lost so much nature that there's a group of people working to bring nature home through these practices of rewilding, regenerating, and restoring. And it starts with our home plots and our cityscapes. It's been really fun to watch what's happening there. And I've actually been able to adopt learnings from their timeline in this story arc into Grow Now. And hopefully it, the trend will pick up in the United States. People taking the book home, what would you really like them from reading the book to take home from all this? The first two things are to, one, be generous, and two, remember that, again, we all have an entry point. We all have a gift. We all have something to share. And while extreme weather events and wildfires and pandemic that we're facing are all very overwhelming topics, I get it. It's easy to want to just turn the radio off when you hear these same stories repeated over and over. But we all have an entry point. We all have a gift. We all have something to offer. And this book, Grow Now, offers, again, those multiple entry points for acting today um, in a way that is helpful to us and the planet. And I outline that. Like, why is it good for us? Well, I go into those relationships with nature and microbes in our own bodies. The, the fact that we are more and more microbe than human, which I talk about in the book. And again, to be generous 
which is to open up our lives even just a little bit to these things that might seem hard. One of my friends who was friend Robert, who had just started composting, he did his first batch of compost and wanted to give up. And then another of our friends said to him, Robert, hey, just think if you do a couple more batches and, and you, you compost for a year, just think how good you will be at composting. And so to be generous with your time, to give a little, to plant a few things for wildlife and to give back even just a little bit, but go to your gifts because those are the places that um, you'll feel confident, a natural place to start. If people want to learn more about you, learn more about the book, where can they go? Yeah, so Grow Now, How to Save Our Health, Communities, and Planet One Garden at a Time is available wherever you buy books. You can find me, Emily Murphy, at Pass the Pistol, that's P-I-S-T-I-L, as in part of a flower. And I'm, I'm kind of all over. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter quite a bit. I'm on Pinterest and Facebook. You can find me at my website, PassThePistol.com, P-I-S-T-I-L. Again, P-I-S-T-I-L is part of a flower. And if any of your listeners have questions, feel free to reach out to me. And please do find the book. If it's not right for you, maybe it's right for someone in your family. I really, again, hope it makes its way out into the world and, and has significant impacts. We were just talking with Ms. Emily Murphy, the new book, Grow Now, How We Can Save Our Health, Communities, and Planet One Garden at a Time. Ms. Murphy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.